Good morning, everyone. Uh, so most sermons uh, start with an introduction. Um, they have a nice story or something. Um, but this week, I genuinely couldn't think of a good introduction. And so I'm just going to start with a relevant joke. And then we're just going to dig straight into Nehemiah 4. Um, so the joke. And kids, uh, you might want to pay attention to this bit, even if you forget everything else I say. Who is the shortest man in the Bible? I'll give you just a second. Um, some thoughts might be going straight away to Zacchaeus, because uh, we hear about him being short, but he's not the right answer. The shortest man in the Bible is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Yep, that's the joke. Feel free to, to use it. Don't feel any pressure to give me any credit whatsoever. Uh, but that's the joke. Let's dig uh, straight into Nehemiah 4. Um, so as we get to this fourth chapter, uh, what we have is we have these enemies who are opposing the work. Uh, we get a, a list of them in verse 7. Um, in response to that, we get Nehemiah's call to the people of Jerusalem to remember the great and awesome Lord. And then after that, uh, we see them continuing the work. Um, but while they're working, and uh, we didn't have this bit read, they're continuing to be ready for battle. They're working uh, with tools in one hand and a spear in the other hand. Uh, so these enemies, let's look at, at who they are. Um, so we get the, the full list of them in verse 7. We've got Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. Um, and so they hear um, that the people of Jerusalem are rebuilding the wall. And their immediate reaction um, is a pretty negative one. They're jealous, um, they're upset about it. Um, so these groups and these, these people, they would have had a, uh, a kind of long history with uh, the people of Israel or Judah. Um, a pretty negative history would have, would have been fights and conquerings um, between both sides. Um, and so they had seen uh, that Jerusalem was down. The wall was down, hardly anyone was living there. And they were pretty happy. Jerusalem's failing means their success. And so naturally, the idea of Jerusalem rebuilding, um, they're not going to be too happy about it. And so when they hear about this rebuilding of the wall, uh, they're going to do whatever they can to try and stop it. So they come in verse 2 uh, and they ask a bunch of questions. Uh, what they say is, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? So they're asking those sorts of questions that plant seeds of doubt in your mind. Uh, you may have heard uh, similar ones. Let's say um, you head in for a night out or to a nice restaurant uh, and somebody you live with is like, oh, you're going out in that. And you know straight away, that that is not just a, an honest question, they're curious. That, that question is, you should wear something else. Uh, for me, uh, that was pretty much just put a jacket on, it's cold. Um, but I'm sure others might hit a bit too close to home. But they're asking these questions that are going to put doubt uh, into the mind of the people of Jerusalem. Because these questions, especially from a human perspective, are, are pretty valid. You know, the stones they're using... Um, here they say burnt stones, rubbish stones. Some translations will even go as far um, to say pretty much dead stones. Jerusalem's been lying uh, in ruins. So they've got the temple back. 
Well, they haven't built more houses. The wall is crumbled. It's, a, it's, a, it's genuinely just looking like a bombsite. And if you were just to look at it, it would be a very bleak place with really no hope. And the people that are left building this wall, uh, generally most of the people in Jerusalem at the time, are the ones who are too weak uh, or too lame uh, to go into exile. So when the people went into exile, uh, they went in some waves. So the first wave was like the elites. The smartest people, the strongest people would go. And then in another wave, the next strongest and the next smartest people would go. And the only ones who were left behind uh, were the weak losers that basically would have had no use anywhere else in the world. Now, some of the strong people have come back, but generally, the people of Jerusalem are pretty weak. And so you've got these weak people with pretty rubbish materials trying to build a huge wall. And so you could look at the situation and think, this isn't really going to work. And so it was so easy for the people of Jerusalem to despair and to completely give up hope. And I think probably as we look out at the church in Scotland, uh, in the UK, uh, in many places in the world, uh, would have similar temptations. We'd look and it'd be pretty easy to just give up hope. Um, so I hear, and I guess particularly from people who who grew up a long time before I did most of my growing up, um, stories of how uh, the church would have this far bigger role in society, where a legitimate question you could ask your neighbor was, what church do you go to? And there'd be um, prayers in schools and, and there'd be you know, public um, shows of, of solitude or actual Christian faith. And that would be a really normal thing. I did a decent bit of my growing up in Northern Ireland. Uh, and still there today, the church would have a relatively big place in society. We can already see uh, people worried about how the church is kind of falling away there. And if you were just to look uh, from a stats perspective, the thought of 97 or 98% of people in Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire not knowing Jesus people who are going to die without knowing the hope of Jesus. And it would be right for us in all these things to mourn. That is a loss. We know the stat would have been better so many years ago. And so we can look at this situation in Scotland and we can mourn and and we should. But what Satan would love us to do is to turn from mourning to despair. And so he might ask us these questions as we look out at the church on Scotland. Are you really hoping for revival in Scotland? Churches are being sold. Churches are closing. The younger generation just aren't interested in faith. So many churches, just by the age of their members, are going to be dead in 30 years or so. Are you really thinking that you're going to revive these dead stones? Are you really thinking that you're going to be able to build this church? Uh, As we as we hope as Hillview and Kintour to be churches that plant churches. Do you really think you're going to make any kind of significant impact on the 97 or 98 percent? Even if you get another two percent, is that really going to make any difference? 
And it'd be so easy to just lose hope at that point. And it'd be so easy to just despair. But Nehemiah has the answer to this, to these questions, to this despair. Uh, And it comes in verse 14. Nehemiah says, Do not be afraid of them, the enemies who would come to attack them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. That's his response. Nehemiah isn't placing any of uh, his hope in himself or the other people of Jerusalem at this point. But that was a key sticking point for some of the questions they were asked. So in verse 2, they have the question, will they restore it for themselves? Will they do it? And in verse 10, the people in Judah, they say, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. But not in verse 2 or verse 10 does Nehemiah go back, oh wait, yes, we will. Don't give up, we can do this. There's not even a hint of that in here. Nehemiah's only response is to remember the Lord. And now this remembering, it's kind of a, it's a pretty active remembering. So it's not just a, oh, look back on the glory days. Look back when we were a strong nation and people feared us. But it's to look back at, at what the Lord has done and to be constantly recalling that as you go about your business. Uh, And so most of the people uh, in Jerusalem at this time, or in fact all of them, wouldn't have been alive back for the glory days. Um, But they will have heard a lot of stories about who God is. Um, So you may remember um, that the people, the person who has been teaching them at the moment is Ezra. Ezra, who is described as a man skilled in the law of Moses. And so their impression of God is going to be the impression that Moses gives us in the books he writes. Uh, And we'll see later on whenever they finish the wall, spoiler, in case you haven't read Nehemiah before, but they they do build the wall, um, that they celebrate a festival that is from the Exodus. So their impression of God from the Exodus is going to be of a great and awe-inspiring Lord. It's the God who rescued them from slavery. From Egypt, the most powerful nation at the time, uh, a people who uh, had no strength, or no wisdom, or no capability of escaping slavery. And yet we know the stories uh, of the ten plagues that God sent, of how God split the Red Sea and guided his people through it, of how God rescued his people. Their impression of the Lord is of an awesome, great Lord who has done so much. And so when they're worried about their progress, when they're worried about the enemies coming towards them, if they are constantly recalling this great and awesome Lord, then they won't despair and they won't fear. But they will be comforted and they will know the protection of the great and awesome Lord. And so as we go on and we look at the church in Scotland and we, and we think about what we want to do, I want us to remember two stories of God's great reviving power. Of when God has taken dead things and brought them to life. When he has revived dead stones. 
So the first is this, that God rose Jesus from the grave. Uh, So Jesus uh, was dead, like properly dead. Uh, So a lot of people who might doubt the resurrection would say, well, maybe Jesus wasn't actually dead. But the folks who killed him were pretty much the masters of death. The Romans killed people all the time. They knew exactly how to do it. Um, It was simple. Uh, It was, well, not that quick, but it was deliberately slow. So they knew Jesus was dead. He was in a tomb for three days. And he was raised. And it was such a, such a, I guess, a simple thing for God uh, that when people go looking for Jesus's dead body because they didn't have hope, someone's standing there being like, why are you looking for Jesus here? Why are you looking for Jesus among the dead? Of course he's risen. God has that power. God can just raise Jesus from the dead. So if God can raise Jesus from the dead, why would we ever dream of thinking that God can't raise Scotland from the dead? And the second is similar, that if you are a Christian, God has raised you from the dead. Ephesians uh, tells us that we were once dead in our transgressions and sins. Dead, completely dead, not just kind of lying there limp, but dead, without a hope of fixing ourselves, of saving ourselves, of raising ourselves to life. But if you are a Christian, God has raised you from the dead. And he's so deliberate in wanting to raise you from the dead that his own son died for it. That as Jesus dies on that cross and is raised again, You are raised as well. And so if God can raise you, why could he not raise Scotland too? Why could he not raise Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire as well? And as we we think about what we want to do as a church, one of the things is we want to see our friends and our communities come to know Jesus. That's at the core of something we do. But we probably think, well, We can see those sorts of people who we think might want to become a Christian. You know, the people who are pretty nice anyway, um, and they don't seem to be having too much fun in their life, so a bit of Christianity won't ruin too much. But the hope for any person in the world is the exact same. Because any person in the world is in the same spiritual condition that we once were. Dead. And so even if we were raised in a Christian family, you know, we've heard about Jesus all the time. We still had to be raised from death to life. And so for those we can think of who we'd think would never, ever turn to Jesus. The hope for them and the hope for anybody we think might want to turn to Jesus is exactly the same. And that hope is the awesome and great Lord. Because it is only him who can raise dead people to life. And so there there is a world of people out there who we can tell of this hope, who we can tell of Jesus, and who God will save. God will save many from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And he will do it through Jesus.
And we too, we want to be churches that plant churches. You know, we want to, we want to see areas where, where there is spiritual death. And we want there to be a church there that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. That calls people to repentance and faith. That brings the light of Jesus into dark communities. And we might look out and think, how are we going to do that? First of all, there's a pandemic going on. How are we going to do anything meaningful in the community? Second, where's the money for all this going to come from? Where are the people going to come from? We're not the biggest churches in the world. You can look at the situation and think, how on earth are we going to be churches that plant churches? How are we going to use dead, rubbish stones? But we have a God who is in the business of reviving dead stones. Of building his church no matter what. And so we know that if we want to be churches that plant churches. That if we remember the great and awesome Lord. That he will build his church. We don't need to hope that that we'll figure out all the answers to plant churches. We just got to trust that God, who is in the business of reviving dead stones, will revive some more. That churches will be built and people will come to know Jesus. Um, But I want to be clear, and this is something we see in the rest of the passage that we didn't have read. So the work resumes. Um, They keep going to build the wall. Uh, And as I said at the start, they have tools in one hand and a spear in the other. They're always ready for a fight. the, the chapter ends saying, So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Um, so that's not just talking uh, about a teenage boy, um, but it's talking about how they were always ready for their work and always ready to defend in case they were attacked. They were trusting in the protection of God. But that did not mean that they put down the spear. Remembering the great and awesome Lord does not mean sitting back uh, in a holy huddle just waiting for him to do something. We are to remember the Lord as we go about doing what the Lord has called us to do. And so we are to give it our all as we tell our friends about Jesus. We're to give it our all as we want to be churches that plant churches. Not trying to do it in our own efforts, but doing it because we know God is in control and he has called us to do this. And so uh, the Lord will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we will not stop seeking after the lost because God has called us to go. And as long as we're on this earth, There'll never be a time to put down the spear. There won't be a time to to sit back and say, I've done my part. But there is a day coming when the wall is built and it stands. So Nehemiah, they, they finish the wall eventually, but it doesn't last forever. But they are looking forward to, and we are looking forward to a day where there is a wall where the work is finished 
and hear how it is described in Revelation 21. This is talking about uh, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city when Jesus comes back. And it says, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Nehemiah's wall was finished, but it was never going to be complete. We will hope to be churches that plant churches. We'll hope to see our friends come to know Jesus. But there will always be more. But there is a day coming where we will sit in the new Jerusalem, surrounded by the most glorious wall, looking at what God has built. And there we will worship him. And we will worship him with brothers and sisters uh, who have come to faith in Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. And we will celebrate what the Lord has done and we will remember the great and awesome Lord.